Exactly, exactly. So, sometimes I, I can really help. Sometimes I see students using technology completely wrong. Uh, so I point them to, to the right technology to use. Uh, but the, the main challenge actually is uh, uh, they, they don't think of sustainability of business. That's the main challenge I see almost everywhere. Uh, they don't see the how, how they don't think of sustainability. They just think that it will be solved. People yes. will buy it. Yes. It's it's great. It, I, I, yes. You see, it's amazing. <laughs> Our friends say it's it's amazing. Our family say it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's a it's a huge, huge bias, and uh, I mean, it's it's definitely tough to get it out, especially when you are that young, when you're like late teens, early twenties. I think it's yeah. really tough to get it out of your system. But I think um, it's a. I, I believe it's a it's a good exercise to sort of but reach you know out to a mentor, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what? Even if they fail in the in the twenties, that's not a problem. Exactly. Exactly. You know, you have, you have nothing to lose. Exactly. When you. <laughs> <laughs> so, firstly, Allah, thanks a lot for joining in. I want to welcome you to the Startup Garage podcast. It's it's really an honor to have you over. And thank you for your for so much patience. I've been I've been rescheduling for almost three three weeks now. <laughs> so oh, I'm, it's it's I'm okay. Sorry. Actually, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for having me here. Lovely. I appreciate so, it. So, I I really I yes. really really uh, I'm intrigued about the kind of experience that you bring in. You come from a hardcore corporate background and then you ventured into startups and you're also a university professor. And um, I mean, being a student entrepreneur, I think you are one of the ideal people that I always looked up to. Uh, people who were running startups and were also teaching at universities. Um, because I think these people, they bring in a very, very balanced approach to the, to the overall experience and for that reason what i want to do is i want to start off with before we get into the the overall discussion on uh, education and academia and startups i want you to start with your journey prior to b12 with microsoft with oracle how did you get into it what were you like when you were uh, in your early 20s were you a student entrepreneur yourself did you think about starting off tell us about uh, the 20-year-old Allah. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the compliments. Actually, I, I never thought of entrepreneurship uh, when I was in my 20s. Uh, I was looking for a good, stable uh, job as an employee, and I was happy with that, especially when I joined Oracle 2005, back in 2005. Prior to that, I graduated as a computer engineer. Uh, I was excited. I had very good gra grades, etc. Uh, and then uh, I went into an interview for Oracle first, uh, they hired me, and then I realized that, man, <laughs> I need to learn a lot of stuff, uh, technical, corporate, uh, policies, uh, so the corporate world, as you, as you know it. That was a very good learning and experience uh, until 2012, when I joined Microsoft, and I thought, uh, uh, I know it now, but I, 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 I realized that <laughs> Microsoft is even a bigger beast than Oracle. <laughs> So I had to learn to learn more and more uh, products, corporate uh, strategies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It, it was an experience. I'm humbled that uh, I was lucky enough to to have that kind of experience. Uh, 
And uh, to connect to what you said earlier, I used to be a, a good employee and uh, <laughs> trying to, <laughs> to be as, as good employee as, as I can. And uh, the, the whole entrepreneurship, I read about entrepreneurship and et cetera, but never thought that myself, I, I will start a company at some point in time until uh, I was very excited about my job and was uh, planning like a, a completely new idea for one of our customers in Microsoft, like when I was in Microsoft. And I, I studied it from business perspective, technical perspective, it works, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and the customer was not really interested, was not into it. And I was a bit frustrated telling my manager, you know what, it, it's really a good idea. It, it, from business perspective, it's good. From technical perspective, it's good. And it happened to be in, in our space. And my manager told me, Ala, if you believe in it that much, why don't you do it? <laughs> and I started to think about, about that seriously, to, to actually go ahead and do it. Uh, luckily, when I was in Microsoft, there, there is a policy if you declare everything that they allow you to do uh, to open your own business, as long as there is no conflict of interest. Uh, and I did that. I, I started B12. Uh, it was a very good uh, journey. And uh, at some point in time, uh, I had to give more time to B12. So I decided to, to quit. Uh, and uh, I still have some time. I like education so much. So I joined the university uh, as an instructor, professor of practice. That's the journey from university back to university. <laughs> That's lovely. That's lovely. And tell us a little bit more about uh, the idea that you had, the idea that you were working on while you were in Microsoft, the idea that made you quit your job and start B12. What, what was the overall idea about? And um, I mean, it's, it's easier said than done, definitely, that when you have yeah. so much experience, when you're working with an organization like Microsoft, um, that you quit your job and start something absolutely new in an, in an industry which is so competitive. Um, so what was the idea about and what were, what were you thinking back then? Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, to be, to be honest, the idea uh, underwent so many uh, uh, modifications along the way, but it started with uh, a way to connect uh, parents with the schools. Uh, a way to, to aggregate all what a parent would, would need to know about their children in school uh, and how to, uh, to streamline the processes inside school so that we, we, we build the process with the end result being a, a proper communication, professional communication uh, system. Uh, because I'm a parent myself, so I, I know the hassle that can uh, go inside the school to, uh, when they uh, notify parents about activities, uh, new, new uh, regulations, uh, uh, some some events, everything, or even assignments and and uh, exams. So I was thinking in in that area, and and I found a way to to build a proof of concept uh, to show that things can can be done in a better way. Uh, yeah, that was the idea, and then we took it, we started it. Uh, luckily, schools uh, believed in 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 that in the need for that communication platform with parents, uh, and that was the the birth of B12 back in 2016. Yeah, that's interesting. And um, I think one one interesting thing about B2B companies, at least, is, and I've spoken to a lot of B2B founders, and yeah. I ask this question and I get really interesting replies. So mm -hmm. my question to you is, when you started off uh, your B2B company, um, I think schools were your number one clients, and you would have reached out to a lot of them initially, showing your products, testing them yes. out, probably giving them out free, in, in the beginning, right? So what was the one thing when you reached out to these schools or your clients, uh, what was the one thing that really worked for you? 
that, that really worked in terms of, uh, uh, in selling terms of the converting product? them, yes. yes. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, as you said, uh, the first school that we got was completely free because we wanted to pilot something and we wanted a reference and it was a good school. Mm-hmm. They, were, they were generous enough to allow us uh, a, a year uh, to, to, to tune our product in, in there. But uh, during that year, we realized pain points uh, that we need to use with other schools. Uh, the, the, you know, one the second school actually we got, they gave us very, very important insight. They told us back before COVID-19 lockdown, the amount of paper that we print and send out with, this, with students was around, uh, they were like six, a chain of six schools, around 1 million paper per year. So we started to do, to do the math. Okay, 1 million paper per year. What does that cost in terms of paper, ink, all the logistics around it, etc.? cetera. Uh, it was more than the cost of the, the subscription of B12. <laughs> so we told them, we need to put a plan for every school that you need to go paperless about communication. We still need paper for education, but not communication. Uh, and at the beginning, that was uh, that case study. We, we showed them the numbers that you're really paying that much of, of, of money for paper and ink and all the logistics and some students, they may purposefully or uh, innocently lose the paper, <laughs> hide the paper, <laughs> all of that, all, 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 all this is gone now. So yes, we started with, with a cost, uh, a total cost of ownership for communication. What does it cost you to communicate with your parents? That was the beginning. Makes sense, that's, that's interesting. Um, I, want to, I want to segue and talk about uh, B12 as a product now. Uh, you started off, like you said, the product has gone through a lot of modifications. And I know now that it's a lot more comprehensive. It's like a one package solution for schools and for parents and for students. So can you talk a bit more about B12 as a product and, and where is it now? How have you been developing it? What's what's the current status? Yeah, yeah. We started off as a communication platform, mainly targeting uh, parents of schools, uh, where we aggregate uh, inside school things that are uh, administrative, academic uh, activities, uh, uh, financial counseling, different different roles inside the school, but they go through some kind of processes and approval process to reach the parents, these these pieces of information. But then uh, we realized that uh, one of the important areas is uh, school buses because stu- uh, parents, they call school, school so much, uh, asking about where are you now? Where, 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 why are you late? <laughs> are you stuck somewhere? Is my child is on the bus, et cetera, et cetera. So, so we added that module to B12 to, to track the, the rounds or trips of uh, school buses and to automatically notify parents of important pieces of information. That saved a lot of phone calls. And then uh, uh, we started the academic part of B12, how, how, how to manage the educational process inside schools. Then COVID-19 came and we pivoted uh, quickly uh, to, to managing blended learning uh, in, instead of the traditional kind of education. Uh, so we built a, a layer on top of Microsoft Teams to manage the whole process since uh, starting with creating accounts and teams and subjects all the way to a real-time uh, on the spot notifications to parents. So if, if you're a parent and uh, the, the class has started and your son or daughter is not in the, in, in the class yet, after five minutes, you will get a notification automatically from the system that the, the class is ongoing and your student is not, your child is not there. 
so so a lot a lot of these kinds of uh, how to manage the whole process automatically and just notify for important events where you where, where they need uh, your attention whether as a school administration or as parent uh, yeah so so uh, that was managing blended learning but then we added uh, uh, the idea of personalized education where uh, when your son or daughter answers a question whether there was that was in a in a uh, exam quiz or uh, even a worksheet that question is tied to a learning outcome uh, and by by gathering the correct answers that your your son or daughter is doing on every learning outcome we start to know that your son is good for example in algebra but maybe they're not as good in in geometry they're good they're very good in probability and statistics so instead of giving you a mark for math uh, we we tell you where exactly the, your student, your child is is above average of the class, where they are below average. If you if you want to work more on something, then you work on geometry, for example. So so that individualized. If every student has a profile uh, where we see the strengths and weaknesses of every student compared to the class, uh, that helps uh, the individualized or personalized education. That's where we are now. That's that's super interesting. Is being a parent giving you real time? ideas on all of this like <laughs> of course man super interesting <laughs> of course i get a phone call from the teacher of my of my son he's not in the class although i, yeah. I know he's in his room and i go and find him playing games <laughs> so <laughs> i made it automatic so the system will notify you in five minutes if your child is not there yeah yeah i'm pretty sure because the kind of the kind of ideas that you're talking about are super interesting and i think only a parent can come up with that <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when when I go to schools, I tell them, you know what? I'm a parent. I see my how my yeah. children are, are behaving. I'm a teacher. I'm an instructor. So I know your pains. I teach on, on wow. uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's super interesting. Also, um, I, I want to talk about a, a bit more about the product itself before we move on to the 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 other aspects of our discussion. So when sure. you talk about building on top of Microsoft Teams, like Microsoft Teams has a has a huge suite of um, sort of features that it has built, especially for digital education. Like you mentioned, we have built this layer, which enables blended learning. Um, mm -hmm. I want to talk about a, a bit more about uh, hybrid, this new hybrid model of learning that's coming up, because we we saw the, the 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 whole wave of digital education, online education coming for the past say four or five years, but we did not mm -hmm. expect it to arrive so fast because of COVID especially in the yes. K-12 segment for, for kids. Yes. So, um, and I have a nephew who is like seven years old, so he's also in school, but online education mm -hmm. is sort of a little difficult for kids to manage at home and also for parents. So um, when you talk about blended learning, particularly, um, is, it, is it a mix of offline plus online that you're talking about? Is it a mix of uh, live training, offline uh, coaching, what, what exactly does it entail and how do you see the future of your product? I mean, I'm, I'm sure you have an idea, you have a sense of how the whole education space is going to evolve, say five years from now, and you are also mm -hmm. aligning your product with these, with these industry trends. So how do you see those industry trends shaping up in the next few years, especially for this segment? Yeah. Uh... Well, as, as you said, uh, we saw technology can help education, and that's uh, that's something that we believed in before all, all of what happened in the past two years. Uh, 
uh, but we did not uh, expect, uh, of course, what, what happened. Uh, the previous one and a half years, I think, are not a good example of blended learning because everyone jumped quickly too fast and they went too far. Uh, because especially for the younger ones, uh, you, you, you cannot really, okay, what they get from school is more than someone talking about a concept or, or teaching them a skill. What they get from school is much more uh, socially, uh, physically when they move. So uh, we believe that education, uh, especially for the younger ones, cannot be completely online. And we don't want that. Although we're in the technology space, but we, I'm a parent too, so I, I don't want that. Uh, so what I'm, see, what I'm seeing coming as a blended learning is that uh, many schools, they realize that some of their educational processes should not go back to what it used to be, even if everything goes fine next year and we're back to schools and everything, like worksheets, like uh, assignments. Why, why to print them out on papers and give them to students and they lose them and then we need to gather them and, and mark them and then distribute them back. All of this hassle of, of moving papers back and, back and forth can be really streamlined through uh, online uh, assignments. And they can solve on paper and take a photo and send it to the to the teacher. She can uh, annotate and and add her remarks and send them back to the students immediately. So some of, some of the processes I, I see schools they believe that should should uh, should change and they will not go back to to the normal. But maybe uh, some aspects uh, of of education in the in the earlier years will will go back uh, to the traditional way because I believe that that's even better. The story changes when you talk about higher education. Now, I'm, I'm teaching in a university, as you know. Uh, we put a plan in the university that 20% of our courses should be uh, either online, completely asynchronous, so a student can attend the classes, or blended, depends on the, on the nature of the course itself. Uh, so I'm in that committee and I'm working on one of the courses to make it like a blended learning. So we defined blended is as, as a, a a combination of techniques of synchronous and asynchronous. Synchronous meaning that we're, 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 we're online like this, we're talking to each other, okay? Asynchronous meaning, it means something like recording a class or preparing something and the student, they can go at any time they want and do it and attend it. A combination of these two. Uh, so in higher education, I see more and more moving towards online and blended learning than, than K-12. to K-12, uh, as I told you, some processes may, Will, will remain online and some processes will, will be back to normal. That's why I see it uh, going. But I think the good thing, uh, if I may add one yeah, minute, that good. everyone realized, uh, thank you. Uh, everyone realized how much technology can help. Uh, many people, whether intentionally or unintentionally, uh, they did not want to give technology uh, a chance in K to 12. They were forced to do that. Uh, now many of them realize that technology can really help, and I expect that uh, they change their minds and 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 some a few things will remain uh, as they changed over the past year and a half. That's lovely. I think um, the biggest the biggest change for the past couple of years was uh, COVID, and I think um, the silver lining is that it probably showed the capability that technology has to make lives simpler for so many people. And, um, and at the same time, also making sure that things are done more sustainably. Like you mentioned, there's so much paper, so much ink, logistics, everything that goes around um, in, in K-12 assignments. And I think that's, that's a space where 
this new behavior of online assignments, even at, at a K-12 stage, might stick even post-COVID, right? So I think I think that's that's a big, big, big revelation. Um, next, I want to talk about your experience as a university professor as well. Um, how did how did the how did the whole thing come together? Like, how did you start teaching in in a university? Was it out of your love for teaching, or was it because you wanted to get your hands dirty or knees deep into education? Uh, because what you're doing is K twelve, where your teaching is still higher education. I understand that there are some overlaps when we talk about technology, particularly. But then, how did the whole thing come together, uh, and what are your experiences in the university? Well, both of my parents are teachers or used to be teachers. So I have it in the blood, in my blood. Uh, well, uh, even in my, uh, when I was in, in Oracle or Microsoft, they, they used to tell me that you're a good teacher. So when there is a new technology, <laughs> go ahead and learn it and come tell, tell us what, it, what it's all about in half an hour, for example. So I, I think I have something, uh, some skills for, for teaching. So when I left Microsoft, uh, uh, the university is one block away from our office. So the first thing I approached was the university. Uh, are you interested? Uh, and uh, it's a technical university. So they were very interested in someone with experience, with in experience from uh, the, the industry itself. So they welcomed and, and uh, in, in, in one month I was in front of students teaching. Uh, the whole experience of, it, I, I think you, you said it right. Uh, you know, my friend, uh, teaching uh, gave me another perspective on the product that we build uh, because knowing about teaching is, is different than teaching actually going for for the whole experience from it is it giving it the, the time needed to prepare a lesson to do the lesson uh, to create a, or, or build a, an assessment or a quiz or an exam uh, grading grading it uh, giving feedback seeing where was the where were the gaps between what students achieved versus what you what you would, you thought that you told them, so the whole experience gave me perspective uh, that I did not have and I could not uh, reach uh, just by thinking about education. I had to go through that process, and I'm enjoying to, doing that. Absolutely, I I yeah. totally relate to it because both of my parents are teachers as well. <laughs> oh, so, <laughs> really? yeah. Yeah. so both of them are teachers, and um, I mean I come from an academic background myself. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I can totally relate to it. Also, do you think um, teaching at, at a university, and I'm sure that since it's a technical university, you're teaching technical things to um, undergraduates. So the, the overall experience, I'm pretty sure, since you, since you mentioned that you're also on that committee, which is looking at blended learning and uh, where they can bring in 100% digital uh, courses that students can opt for, um, how 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 is that how is that working out in the overall space? So are there? Uh, I mean, globally there are a lot of players which offer completely digital uh, products. Like uh, um, edX is is one platform. Coursera is another platform, and there are uh, numerous such platforms that offer uh, that partner with a lot of universities and offer digital courses. So um, is this in line with something like a massive? open online courseware? Is it something that students can opt for within a, within an offline degree course uh, when they're enrolled, when they're already enrolled inside the university? So how is the, how is the blended learning coming along in the university space particularly? 
Well, as, as you mentioned, there are already platforms for uh, uh, massively online courses. Yeah. And actually the university has contracted uh, Coursera as, as one of these platforms. So okay. this is something we offer to our students. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think the, the value for what we're doing is not to, to replace that because uh, it's not our job to, to, uh, to do that. Uh, the combination between the parts of the course that can be done online and self-paced versus the interactive parts can help us focus more on the interactive, especially, for example, the courses that I teach are mostly programming. Uh, so uh, there are some concepts that, that students can study by themselves, but I prefer uh, the synchronous part when, when I meet the students to be focused more on the practice, uh, on the practical side of, of things. Uh, where are these things used? When, when do I go for that uh, approach versus the other? So we're trying to offload the lecture time, the, the pure theoretical part of the lecture time to online and focus more on the, on the inter, uh, focus the interactive time more on the practical and practicing uh, all what we did. That, that's, I think, what we're aiming at more than just doing an online course that you can attend completely offline. Got it. Uh, sorry, got it. completely asynchronous. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah. Also, since you mentioned programming, um, Naval Ravikant, he's, he's like the founder of Angelist. I'm sure you might have heard of him. Um, mm -hmm. So he's like this famous investor. And uh, he talks about these four or five skills that are going to be really, I mean, these are, these are like really fundamental skills that a person must have in order to not just be an entrepreneur, just be, um, just be good at what they're doing. And uh, he mentions reading, writing, I mean, on top of my mind. And there's computer programming uh, is, is one of them. I mean, he places it, on, on the top with reading and writing really well. And yeah. uh, so, and, and since you teach programming, so do you think it's, it's really important for students to learn programming from a perspective that, um, I mean, programming, not just to, to, to know it, but also to understand the overall logic behind products. So what is your take on this whole uh, learning programming sort of, that's that's coming up uh, well yeah yeah i believe that uh, programming <laughs> uh, changes the way you think you know uh, it, it, it really changes the i read an article about how programming changes actually the the, the, the way that your brain is uh, is functioning oh, wow. uh, it, it's it's a it's a medic yeah it, it's a technical slash medical article about the changes that that happens in you inside your brain uh, when you learn programming so I do believe that it's a skill, a future skill that uh, many needs to uh, need to acquire. In the university, it, uh, programming uh, is one of the mandatory courses for all students, whether you're an architect, civil engineer, mechanical engineer, electrical engineer, anything, you need to learn programming. And that's one of the courses I, I deliver in, in, the, in the university. And I spent the first lecture telling my students that even if you're an architect, even if you are a mechanical engineer, you still need programming. That's a, a, a one full lecture of convincing and showing them the, the companies that uh, that failed to innovate and how much programming was involved into uh, all aspects yeah, to get yeah. to get their buy-in and <laughs> yeah. consider it seriously as, as a skill that they need to learn. But yeah, yeah, even when I was in Microsoft, you know, okay. uh, at some point in time, the CEO, uh, Satya Nadella, I think, you know, He's a great guy, he's a great guy. Uh, he said, I want everyone inside Microsoft, every employee, whatever your role is, to be technical. 
uh, even sales, marketing. I, I want you to be technical. And then he defined technical being that you can, you, you know what code is, at least you know how to write basic code. Uh, you, you, and that's not only because Microsoft is, a, is, a, is an IT company. Uh, I believe it, it will help, especially the next generation, a lot in their future to learn programming. Yeah. Definitely. And uh, one more, uh, I think, I think one of the more important thing that, things that uh, coding also does is bring a lot of uh, uh, structured thinking into a person's yes. mind, right? So you learn how to uh, structure a problem, structure a solution, and then solve it. Also brings in a lot of discipline, I believe. Um, moving on, yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, please. Before, before, yeah, before you move on, so, something, I, okay. What programming does is that you, you, I tell my team in, in, in B12, when we think about any of the problems, let's not write any line of code until we, we make sure that we understand what the problem is and all the scenarios involved. So we start with the whiteboard. I'm, I'm known for, for loving whiteboards <laughs> with all the colored pens I, I, I use. So uh, it helps you dissect a problem into components that, that, that are interconnected, but if you solve each one, you will reach an end result. You, you start thinking of problems that I cannot solve it all together. I have to, to break it down, uh, divide and conquer uh, approach. And, and then every problem uh, becomes a smaller problem that is connected, of course, uh, but it's easier to... I find myself doing the same thing with business, you know? I, I started this, uh, this way of, of, of thinking in programming, but I try to break down problems into smaller problems that are interconnected and see where do I need to start? You have business problems that yep. you can think of in the, in the same way you, you think of a programming, even at home, <laughs> some, <laughs> some of the problems that, I, yeah. So it's a way of thinking. It changes the way you, you approach problems. And absolutely. that's what I like about it, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I think um, like, you, like you pointed out, I, I, I love that because even when we go to business schools, they, they tell us that um, it's really important to think structurally about business problems and challenges, and you 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 have um, strategy models to follow mm -hmm. when you're thinking about a particular problem. If you want to enter a particular industry, you have a particular um, sort of framework to think about the industry and whether to enter or not. When you're thinking about M&A, there is a different structure mm -hmm. that you need to look at. And similarly, I think um, and these mental models come into the picture. Um, a little later in a non-technical person's life, if you are a programmer, like you are teaching programming to these undergraduate kids who are like 18, 19 years old, right? And yes. um, when you're 18, 19 years old, you probably um, think very, very broadly, like you don't think very structurally, you think in circles at times. And uh, I think programming at such an early stage really puts you in the habit of thinking structurally. And it's a hard to come skill. I, I completely mm. agree with that because being an entrepreneur myself, I think, and coming from a non-technical background, I think one of the things that was hard for me to learn was how to have chaos within a structure. <laughs> so, oh. so I think, I think that's, that's the way the, I mean, all, all businesses work, right? You have like a very broad framework, you have a broad structure, but within that framework, there's chaos. There's, there's always chaos. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, moving forward, I, I want to talk about the Jordanian startup ecosystem and the partners that you have uh, gotten the support from. Um, you have, 
I mean, since you're working on layers that you've built on top of Microsoft Teams, you've been a part of Microsoft yourself, and now you are a part of Microsoft for Startups, UAE, Middle East, Africa. And um, I think uh, when I spoke to Roberto, he also mentioned that you are one of those star, star uh, entrepreneurs within the overall ecosystem. So uh, tell us a bit more about the overall Jordanian ecosystem. What's it like? How's it growing? what are the major start like the biggest startups major sectors that are coming up and then the ecosystem partners yeah yeah i, I think the jordanian uh, jordan, jordan uh, is a is, is a good uh, place for a startup uh, I, i'm trying to remember one of the statistics that jordan represents like two percent or three percent of the uh, of the population in the Arab world, but in terms of startups, they represent something like 23% of the startups. So uh, obviously it, it's a good environment to start a company in. Uh, it has its own challenges, of course, it's not a, it's not a rosy uh, road, uh, but the availability of uh, uh, resources, technical resources uh, is something that uh, I like here in, in the region, uh, in Jordan specifically. And, and of course, uh, the adjacent countries. Uh, at the beginning, we started uh, with B12, and then one of the, the important association in, in Jordan called Intaj, uh, they incubated us uh, in their offices for uh, two years. Uh, that was a very good opportunity uh, to, to establish, uh, to prepare all of the, of all of the legal work for the company to start. They helped us big time with that. So being an entrepreneur and being employed at the same time, it was not, it was not an easy task to follow up on everything. They helped us big time along with the Amman Chamber of Commerce. So we realized that many of the startups, they do this. They start with the, with incubators in Jordan and then they graduate like, like ourselves. Until now, we, we still have very good connections with, with all of these incubators. Mm -hmm. So the, the ecosystem in Jordan is good. The challenge, the main challenge for all of us is that uh, the purchasing power in Jordan is a bit weak. It, it is weak, actually, it's not a bit weak. <laughs> so uh, it's a good test bid for us. Uh, we start there, we build the product, and now we're in the expansion phase where, where you start selling to other countries. Uh, so I would say Jordan is a very good place to start. Uh, but uh, soon you will need to expand outside Jordan because of the weak uh, purchasing power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now, um, since I mean, there is the, the whole the whole region, the Gulf region is really strongly knit together. And mm -hmm. um, because I mean, I've spent my time in in the UAE and I've met people from across the region. And mm -hmm. um, the UAE incubators and UAE partners are really really open because UAE is one of the one of the more um, sort of advanced areas within the within the GCC within the Gulf, and uh, I think they are really open to welcoming people from within the region to UAE to help them expand their uh, service base to build the product to hire people and and uh, sort of sell within within the UAE. So actually, you know, actually most of our fr my friends who who, mm -hmm. who are ahead of me in the game. Mm -hmm. uh, their expansion strategy was involved moving to UAE. UAE is, is very interesting when it comes to expanding in the Gulf region mm -hmm. uh, because of all the facilities that are available there. The, uh, it's, it's really easy to establish as a startup and uh, uh, to find investors. 
So UA is, is, is I think, mm -hmm. uh, the natural evolution after you, <laughs> you start yeah. in the region. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the sectors you ask about the sectors in Jordan yeah, for startups. Yeah. Most of most of the startups, uh, uh, well, they 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 are diversified, mm -hmm. but some highlights are uh, in the e-commerce space, like uh, Souq.com, which was acquired by Amazon. It started as a Jordanian uh, company. Uh, in terms of content, Maktoub was acquired by Yahoo. Uh, Maudua is a Jordanian uh, startup. So. Yeah, uh, it's mostly in the tech in the tech world. I didn't know Soup was actually a Jordanian company. Wow! It started in Jordan. Yeah. Wow, that's that's well. Actually, actually, the same people who who built Maktoub started mm -hmm. Soup, and and oh, wow. uh, yes, yes, okay. yes. <laughs> and, and the Mak funny thing, Maktoub I, I, went to Yahoo, right? Yahoo. Yes, it was acquired by Yahoo. Yeah. And uh, when when the when the acquisition happened, I, I know some of the people there. Mm -hmm. uh, when the acquisition happened. Uh, Souq used to, I don't know if it used to have the same name or something mm -hmm. else, but it mm -hmm. was there and mm -hmm. Yahoo said, no, I, I'm not, we're not interested in e-commerce. So they oh, wow. left it out of the acquisition and the <laughs> people <laughs> invested more in it, brought it to Souq that we know, and then it was acquired by wow. uh, Amazon. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I know Souq before it was Amazon and it was, it was really, really cool. Um, yeah. I mean, I used to order products from them all the time and uh, post Amazon, I mean, it's 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 even better now. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. And so followed the same path. So they started in Jordan, they moved to UAE. Yeah. You know, for example, Aramex started in Jordan and they moved their headquarters to UAE. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It, as I told you, you start in Jordan, you build. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good place to start, and then yeah. you move towards Gulf. Yeah. yeah. Aramex is also Jordanian. Wow. Yeah, oh, originally yes, that. but now it's it's wow. a UAE based. Yeah. Um, what are your plans, Allah? <laughs> are you are you planning <laughs> to move to UAE anytime soon? And also, since you're a part of um, Microsoft for Startups, tell us a bit a bit more about the the program and the support that you received from these guys. And um, any like what's what's your five year plan now? If you yeah, can talk yeah, about yeah. that, yeah. Uh, well, yes, so actually. Microsoft for Startups was, was a very good uh, program and they helped us big time, to be honest. Uh, we, uh, we joined the, the team mm -hmm. and uh, you know, the program towards the end of the program, uh, they were very cooperative, especially that when COVID-19 hit, we offered our services for, uh, for schools for free for the remaining uh, of the academic year. And they were very co cooperative, helping us, supporting us because they, they saw uh, that as, as a positive uh, CSR kind of activity from B12. They were very helpful throughout the, the way uh, in terms of connecting us. Uh, our product is now on App Source. Uh, soon next week, uh, we'll release uh, a B12 inside Microsoft Teams as an app for, for Teams. Uh, they helped us with, with several uh, engagements along with the Microsoft uh, PDMs, uh, Partner Development uh, uh, PDMs, can't remember the abbreviation. Uh, so uh, uh, the point is that uh, they helped us technically as well as uh, building some partnerships with partners in the region, uh, partners in North Africa, par uh, partners in, uh, in Lebanon and in, in even in Gulf. So uh, I'm very thankful to that program. I think they exposed us to, uh, to other markets sooner than, than what we would have uh, done. Yeah. As for Lovely. our plans. <laughs> yeah, I was going to touch upon that. <laughs> what's, yeah, next? Yeah. what's next for B20? Uh, 
the, the main theme for the coming period is how, how to incorporate AI, artificial intelligence into education. Education is a human-centric process. Uh, it's 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 very human centric and it should continue to be to be like that. But we see considerable amount of the time of educators go for uh, manual or repetitive processes that we can automate and sometimes not just automate but find AI solutions that can save them a lot of time. The vision is that give as much time of the educator to students. So release them from anything that we can release them of. Uh, we started with some uh, proof of concepts here and there on, on AI solutions that can really help teachers uh, reduce the time spent on processes and, and uh, the manual work they do uh, to give them more time to focus on, on teaching and students. Uh, that's the theme of the coming period, how to, to incorporate AI into that uh, to save the time of educators and, and teachers and provide a, a a, a, con, con, a constant or a predictable quality of education every time. Yeah, yeah. That that's the theme. Now the details. Some of them are still confidential. Some of them you will you will see very soon, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's, no, no, that's lovely, and I really like it uh, because you're focusing more on the teacher. Like you said, it's it's a very human centric process. The overall education, and since you're in the K twelve space. I think it's it's only natural to focus your vision towards making lives easier for the teachers. Mm -hmm. And I think once you do that, you'll make lives easier for students and their parents automatically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, for the yeah. students, we're thinking of, of uh, gamification, make, making it fun to, to uh, interact with the assignments, with teachers, with, with all of their uh, work. So that's the focus for, for students to, to try to make it as fun as possible because when it, in education you're competing with an unfair competition with games and with the social media and all of the rest. So we're trying to help uh, stu uh, students in that. And I'm sure your experience as a parent is coming in handy. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, oh man. <laughs> yeah. Lovely. Also, yeah. Anna, one of the last things that I, wanna, that I want to talk about, and I think this was one thing that we, we spoke about the last time we interacted and uh, we were really excited about uh, talking about this in the podcast as well, is um, entrepreneurship in uh, college. So since mm. you teach college students programming, uh, you are a part, in, in part, you are responsible for teaching them something that has the power to change the way the world works. Right? Mm -hmm. Which is, programming is, um, in my sense, the very fundamental skill that will enable them to, to change the world. And uh, since you're doing that, what's your take on the overall uh, entrepreneurship during college, entrepreneurship right after college? What's your take on, on that front? And how do you um, sort of give that to your students in the university? Like, I'm sure they come to you asking about products. I'm sure they come to you with ideas. And uh, so what's, what's your take around that? Yeah, uh, thank you. That, that's an area I, I, I enjoy talking to my students about. Uh, I encourage them usually to wait a bit or get someone experienced uh, with them. Uh, although we're excited about talking about entrepreneurship and, uh, and all of this stuff, but it is really a hard journey. It's not easy at all. 
And we know statistically that 90% uh, of startups fail uh, during the, five, the first five years. So I tell them that it, it, it's not an easy journey. It, it's far from being guaranteed journey. Even if you have a good product, the market is tough. So uh, we faced it ourselves, you know, uh, at the beginning of, of B12, you go to schools and they tell you, yeah, this is great. This is amazing. Good job, etc." And then you want to go and sell them. <laughs> if they want to put some money for that, <laughs> it's a completely different discussion. So to succeed to, 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 as a business, to, uh, to build something and position it in a way where people are willing to pay for it, it's, it's a completely different story. Of course, you need to have good programmers. Of course, you need to have a good product. You have, you need to have a good idea, but that that doesn't mean a guaranteed success at all. Uh, so, I encourage them to get employed in big companies at least for a for a year or two to understand how a company runs, uh, or get someone who's experienced, or at, attend some courses that are purely business, uh, how to manage the financials, basic stuff, how to the basic cash flow, even if you can do it on one Excel sheet, just to, 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 to really be realistic about the, the kinds of revenue and the timing of the, the revenue that you will get and your expenses. Uh, uh, the, the legalities sometimes, especially with, with students enthusiastic about drones and 3D printers. And so it, it's, not, it's not really easy to, to go around all of the uh, legalities around this stuff uh, in Jordan. Absolutely. So I try to tell them, uh, take some time, take some time, uh, consult, uh, attend workshops, ask entrepreneurs, uh, don't, don't think because you have a good idea that that will uh, succeed easily. It's, it's a tough journey. We went through a roller coaster, you know, you, you, you're an entrepreneur yourself, right? Uh, you have a lot of ups and downs. Uh, high hopes and then they collapse. Uh, so the, the, the journey is tough. Handling it is, is, is not easy. Uh, you have challenges to, to sell your first two customers. And then you have challenges when you want to expand to 10 customers. And then you have challenges when you start hiring and you want to expand to 50 customers. Every stage has its own challenges. And many startups we see, especially uh, students, they fail at the growth stage, not at the, uh, the, the, the first stage. So they have a product, they have something, and they can sell it to a couple of customers, but growth is a completely different game. Uh, that's why I encourage them to have someone on board. Are we still on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I encourage them to have some, someone with, with good experience on board or con have mentors, have mentors, as many mentors as as needed people who have done it, people who are from the industry, senior people, and many senior people I know, they're willing to give their time to students. Some of my students, I connected them with senior people in their industry. So uh, this semester I have a student in, in my class, she, she, she and her sister developed a couple of uh, games, educational games, and they are in the store with, uh, uh, she's doing a great job. I connected her with, with someone experienced in the industry uh, to, to, to be like a mentor and give her some, some uh, important feedback before she go. Uh, she goes to the next level. So I always encourage them to, the, you know, at the beginning in the twenties we have the energy, but we don't have the experience. <laughs> at forties now we have the experience, but we don't have the same amount of energy. So I see thirties is a good age <laughs> for for a successful entrepreneur, but that's not a rule by any yeah, means. Yeah. If you're in twenties, have someone who's who's more experienced who can who can bring the the perspective. 
Yeah. Uh, some of them, they come to me, they're not from technical background. They're purely, they have an idea. Simply, they just have an idea. I encourage them to partner with, uh, uh, with, with, uh, with a technical person, not to outsource completely uh, mm -hmm. to outside without having anyone technical managing the whole process. I saw so many failures for people who had an idea, a good idea, but they did not have anyone technical to at least manage the project internally. Mm -hmm. These are the kinds of advices I give my students. If you're technical, get someone who's experienced in business. Yeah. If you have just an idea, go to, get both of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's lovely. And I'm sure, um, I mean, there is a particular way that students think about certain ideas. Like you mentioned that they think that if, I mean, they are really high on the overall entrepreneurship emotion, and I have been, I have been there. I have done that. I mean, um, just the just the idea seems so strong, and and there's always bias to it. Like you thought of this idea, you have built an MVP, so yes. it's very natural for you to think that yes, the world needs it, but sometimes it doesn't, right? Hmm. So sometimes the world doesn't need what you're building, and I'm sure it's really hard for people to. Uh, pointed out to you, especially mm. your family, your friends. And I think um, university professors is like a really unbiased um, sort of space where you can get unbiased feedback um, and you can reach out to them and ask them about how they like the idea, how, what, they, what do they think about that? So I think that's, that space is very interesting. Um, my next question allowed to you is there is a particular way that they think um, students have a very unconstrained way to think about ideas. Like they don't put financial filters to it. They don't put, like you mentioned, they don't know how to make cash flows. So, I mean, for all you know, they, they couldn't care less about finances. <laughs> yes. they, don't, they don't care about whether the market wants it. They don't care about whether um, it's technically even feasible to do this. But mm. I think there is a beauty in that. And mm. I think there is, there is sort of free thinking to that. So. Um, do you like do you like those kinds of ideas that come to you, which are like really really wild? Because all of us have that the, the the best of the ideas seem totally impossible in the beginning. Do you have mm. I mean, do you have students coming to you with like totally wild ideas and ambitions? What do you how do you sort of tackle that? And have you personally mentored any of such students? Uh. Maybe I'm not the right person to <laughs> to mentor such student. <laughs> I'm conservative in nature a bit. So, uh, but but usually, uh, I heard some crazy ideas, uh, wild. I I won't say crazy, wild ideas. <laughs> uh, you can you can see now that I'm conservative. Huh? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah. I I I never tell a student it doesn't work because I don't know. Okay. But I can tell them where I see potentially you will face a problem or an obstacle that you need to take into consideration. Uh, is it uh, the, the technicalities? Can you implement this idea? Maybe you can go and uh, find if something is already built and build, built on top of it instead of building the whole thing yourself. Uh, I, I uh, Sometimes I point them to some open source projects that they can explore and build on top of that. If, if, if the challenge is technical, if the challenge is market, then I try to bring that in, 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 uh, into perspective. Uh, who's, who's willing to pay for that? And how big is that market? And how sustainable is that? Is it a one-time uh, uh, purchase or is it a subscription? Because uh, if it's a very niche market, if it's a small market, 
uh, and it's a one-time payment, then you will face some success at the beginning, and then you you will you will struggle. So try to change the business model, make it make it a subscription-based uh, kind of uh, product. So I try to point out the problems that I see that I, from my experience, because again, I don't know everything. I, I have experience in, in a small part of the elephant. So I don't see the whole elephant, right? Uh, but from my, my part, I try to point out the, the problems, uh, but I encourage them to think of solutions, maybe partner with another company, maybe. So I try to suggest these are what I see will be your challenges along the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And point them in a direction where they can sort of explore it for the Exactly, exactly. So, sometimes I, I can really help. Sometimes I see students using technology completely wrong. Uh, mm -hmm. So I point them to, to the right technology to use. Yeah. Uh, but the, the main challenge actually is uh, uh, they, they don't think of sustainability of business. That's the main challenge I see almost everywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't see the, how, how, they don't think of sustainability. They just think that it will be solved. People yeah. will buy it. Yeah. It's it's great. It, I, I, yeah. You see, it's amazing. <laughs> Our friends say it's it's amazing. Our family say it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's a it's a huge, huge bias, and uh, I mean, it's it's definitely tough to get it out, especially when you are that young, when you're like late teens, early twenties. I think it's yeah. really tough to get it out of your system, but I think um, it's a I, I believe it's a it's a good exercise to sort of but reach you know out what? to a mentor, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what? Even if they fail in the in the twenties, that's not a problem. Exactly. exactly. You know, you have, you have nothing to lose. Exactly. When you, <laughs> <laughs> you you cannot for, for someone who's yeah, you cannot afford to lose later on in your life, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so so making mistakes is is actually part of the training, the education process. So mm -hmm. if they're if they're after it, let them go and, and they will learn. Maybe, maybe they are right. You know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and usually, usually I, I tell my friends, uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt you. I usually tell my friends, it, it, it's really easy when I was in 20 to, to start again, even to start again a completely different career. It, yeah. But now, now almost uh, early 40s, <laughs> yeah. I have the three kids, I have a family, I have, so the, the, the risk taking is, is uh, you need it's to calculate it, <laughs> ah, You need to calculate it, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's not easy. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So let them try it out. Absolutely. And I think that's how the best of ideas really worked out in the world. I think Microsoft started that way. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm pretty sure some of these students that are reaching out to you um, are going you, to build the next, the next big thing. If, my, if I may share with you a joke, uh, when I was in Microsoft, mm -hmm. uh, uh, the, uh, before Satya Nadella, it was, uh, the CEO was... Uh, Steve Ballmer, uh, yes. And he was telling us when, when he was in university and he wanted to join Bill Gates in yeah. the establishing a company to build software for computers for every person and, and his family yeah. uh, were, were telling him, his parents, uh, you're, you're, you're wasting your time, you're, you're ruining your career. So stop, <laughs> stop this crazy idea of having a computer in every home. So yeah, some crazy ideas actually work. Exactly, you know? exactly. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, I I was um, I was on Twitter and somebody had posted this photo of um, Jeff Bezos sitting mm. in a really small office with like this uh, Windows ninety five uh, desktop, and he literally had this um, sort of a handmade Amazon dot com poster on top of it, mm. like a really small office. And I think it was back in 
Amazon and Amazon started in 95 I guess and it was back around 99 that the photo was like the, like right around the dot com bubble and I mean four years and he, conti- and he continuously sort of pursued that idea I believed in that totally and yeah we all know where yeah. he is now <laughs> going to space <laughs> absolutely <laughs> lovely uh ala what i do is i'll close out uh the session over here it was a really really we overshot some time but i had a lot of fun uh 